Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. What is Hamilton's plan for the Board of Health and homeless encampments? The Brantford Bulldogs are already a big hit. The new healthcare funding model between the feds and the province is taking shape. You can bet on just about anything in the Super Bowl. Are the Raptors standing pat or making a splash? And an Ontario man shares his amazing journey. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Hamilton councillors appear to be split on how to reform the Board of Health. Some are calling for a more diverse committee. And, uh, hey, let's get some input from healthcare professionals as opposed to what they currently have now with this Board of Health made up of all city councillors. Should that be the case? Is, is, is change needed? Also, what is happening with Hamilton's protocol for homeless encampments? Andrea Horvath is the mayor of the city of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Andrea, good morning. How are you? I'm very well, Rick. Thank you. Good morning to you, too. Let's start with the Board of Health because we don't have a lot of time, but are you in favor of changing who sits on the board? I absolutely am. I, I do believe it's time for us to broaden out the uh, the people who sit around the Board of Health, have some experts there, have some people uh, from the diversity of our community there. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, that first SARS and then COVID taught us is that uh, people do not have equal access to healthcare. And so when, that, when as a public health board, we're determining, determining policies and programs and, uh, and, and how we roll things out, having those diverse voices at the table, uh, will really make sure that we're, uh, that we're having, we have a, more of an equity, uh, lens to, uh, to the work that we do. How soon do you want this to happen? Well, uh, I know that there's some frustration because there was a, a motion to change everything up, um, a pretty detailed motion that didn't pass. Uh, but I think it didn't pass because th- that there's not everybody's at the same spot in terms of understanding the issue and understanding, uh, you know, the the benefits um, of going to that kind of model or 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 and others, frankly, and that's fine. That's how it works. I don't believe that that's the right way to go. But we haven't really had a chance to dig into it as a brand new council with uh, two thirds new people on the uh, around the table. And so th- th- I think the reason that it failed was because. People just felt, and this is certainly my feel, feeling as the mayor, uh, we need to give uh, the councillors the respect and the the, the the time, and I don't mean a long time, so it's coming back uh, within the next couple of months, uh, but just the time to dig into it and, and get a better handle on it, because it's a big decision, it's important, and it's going to impact uh, how we, you know, how we govern our, our uh, public health department here in Hamilton. If approved, will this new composition of this Board of Health be ready for the spring, summer, fall? What's the timeline? Uh, my, my, uh, recollection, um, and I'm just ta- uh, thinking off the top of my head now is that it will come back, uh, to a committee in Q3. So that would be this fall, like after the summer, but before the end of the year. Want to switch gears because we have about 90 seconds. Homeless encampments. We had a chaotic meeting at City Hall on Monday. Obviously, a lot of emotion tied to this topic. Councillors, I understand, have rejected the current encampment strategy and want staff to create uh, a new protocol. What is the go-forward plan? Uh, well, in fact, the, uh, the council decided to have a kind of a two-step process, or, if you will, a bridge to the new protocol. Uh, we, so we did pass a motion to, uh, to have some engagement uh, with uh, frontline providers and people with lived experience uh, to, um, you know, to, to come up with new protocols. They, there was a sense that, that there hadn't been a, a robust enough consultation. So that is happening, uh, but we are maintaining 
the staff recommendations to to bridge us to that point. So the staff recommendations were in fact uh, approved, uh, but the uh, with the understanding and the uh, and an amendment that that uh, requires the pro- protocols to be um, you know developed through a, a consultative process. And yeah, it's a it's a really heart wrenching situation. Nobody should be houseless in our community. Uh, we know we have a lot of work to do when it comes to housing. People were passionate the other night. There's no doubt about it. But we, but we can't move forward if we're just shutting each other down and yelling at each other and not allowing, you know, a respectful dialogue to take place. And so let's hope we can get uh, to some real solutions. So what needs to change for this protocol to work for everyone? Well, the, uh, that's exactly what uh, what we're going to find out from the people that know best, which are the people on the ground uh, in the system. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Uh, uh, there was a sense from uh, from folks that, um, that that we didn't get it right, that the staff report didn't get it right. But we still need to provide the resources to, uh, you know, to address the, the encampment situation that we have in, in many of our public spaces, the parks especially, uh, here in the city. And so, so this is, uh, I believe this was a compromise. It's that let's, let's put resources in the budget, make sure that we're committed to, to moving forward on, on addressing encampments and trying, but, and most importantly, trying to do that in a way that respects people's human rights, that's housing uh, based in terms of that being the priority housing and, and support. Uh, and uh, recognizing that people are traumatized. Uh, people don't want to be living on the streets. Um, there are many reasons why people are unhoused, um, and, and not the least of which is we don't have the housing, we don't have the services, we don't have the wraparound services, uh, we don't have the transitional housing. You know what we don't have. So this council is very committed to making uh, making some strides when it comes to uh, the housing file as well as the services file. It doesn't happen overnight. We need to bridge ourselves to get there. Madam Mayor, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely my pleasure, Rick. Take care. Andrea Horvath is the mayor of the City of Hamilton. Big decisions to make in terms of the composition of the Board of Health as well as the Go Forward Plan, the new protocol for homeless encampments in this community. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I can't even lie, as a Hamilton-born girl, this is just a little extra special win for me. What an opportunity. You've been renovated out of your facilities, and we're renovating you in to our facilities and we're so happy to do that. As you hear, Brantford councillors and I'm sure all residents of Brantford super excited to have the Bulldogs play in their city. We welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And hours after the city of Brantford agreed to become the home of the soon-to-be Brantford Bulldogs, season seat reservations are filling up fast. They're flying off the shelves. Yes, there is a huge buzz in Brantford, and rightfully so. Kevin Davis is the mayor of Brantford and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kevin, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Have you come down from cloud nine yet? No. Well, maybe I'm down to cloud eight. <laughs> how, how crazy exciting is this? Well, I've lived here 41 years. I've been an elected official for 11 I have never seen anything like this in four decades that I've lived here in Bradford. It's just like unbelievable, the reaction. And, you know, we're really looking forward to hosting the Bulldogs. And we're also looking forward to the fans from Hamilton coming and enjoying our city. It's not the city you think it is, but I'd say this. If you're interested, you better get on that website and reserve your season's tickets because they're going fast here in Bradford. 
Absolutely. BranfordBulldogs.com is that website. Is there any inclination? I'm, I'm sure the, the math hasn't been done quite yet, but what is your sense on the economic impact this is going to have on the city of Brantford? Yeah, our staff did a preliminary assessment of that. It's in excess of $4 million and about $300,000 in direct wages. And that's just that's just the direct impact. Doesn't include that multiplier indirect impact. So it's going to have a very significant Im- impact, positive economically, for our community. Renovations are going to be made to the Brantford Civic Center. What are fans going to be able to experience when they get into that refurbished facility? Well, first and foremost, it's about player safety and convenience. So there's going to be locker rooms and an area for the home team completely revamped and upgraded. Uh, the glass above the boards, tempered glass, we're switching that out to acrylic plastic because it has more give to it and it's safer. And then for the fans themselves, there'll be uh, a Videotron scoreboard, there'll be improved lighting, PA system, concessions, uh, improved washrooms. It's going to be a great facility. It'll be on the smaller side for an OHL arena, but you know what? It's going to be packed, and when it's packed, it's full of energy and it's loud. Mayor Kevin Davis joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kevin is the mayor of the city of Brantford, which will be the future home of the Brantford Bulldogs. Now, when team owner Michael Anlauer first approached you to say, hey, could, could this be a possibility? Did you have any hesitation? None. <laughs> None. We we it became a, a top priority for myself and the city senior staff. Uh, so much so that uh, we worked right through the Christmas holidays. People canceled the vacations. <clears throat> we were meeting Michael on weekends because we knew that time was of the essence here. If we were going to do a deal, especially given the renovations and upgrades, we knew we had to do it fairly quickly to meet the Bulldogs' timetable. When do those renovations begin, and will all of them or the most important ones be done before this fall when the next season begins? Yeah, that's the plan to get the most important ones done. I mean, the work hasn't actually started, but all the planning has already begun. Uh, We've had a lot of construction experts, engineers, et cetera. They're already in the building uh, determining what it is that has to be done and then creating a timetable for that. The the uh, Bulldogs will be overseeing that. The uh, Hamilton Bulldogs are starting to collect deposits for season ticket packages for their inaugural season in Brantford. And the Brantford Bulldogs have already pulled in uh, more than a 1,000 people signing up online to BrantfordBulldogs.com. We're in discussion with Brantford Mayor Kevin Davis here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, the old Brantford Alexanders of the OHL, they were in existence from 1978 to 84. What does it mean to have this level of hockey back in your city? Well, we, we're a hockey city. Hockey's in our DNA, the home of the Gretzky family. And it, a really thriving minor hockey uh, community here in Bradford. Hockey is the number one sport here in Bradford. That's why we're all so excited. And, you know, we're hungry for that OHL hockey, watching those young players that will be the stars of tomorrow coming up through our rink and arena. And when they hit the NHL, we'll be able to say to ourselves, yeah, they played in Bradford. That's a great thrill. Absolutely. Plus, you know, for all of the young kids in the community that love hockey, this is going to be very inspirational for them. They'll be practicing and playing some of their games right on top of the Bulldog logo, you know, walking past the the the, the dressing room and the, and the coaches' areas. So that'll inspire them to become better players and maybe one day 
playing professional hockey. That's really something that is tangible yet unmeasurable. You you can kind of feel the excitement. You're seeing kids get involved. They're going to be buying jerseys uh, and all that, but it's not really measurable unless, you know, you see a massive boost in minor hockey participation in the next three, four, five years. Yeah, and one last thing I'd say about the arena. I mean, there is no bad seat in that arena. So, you know, again, we welcome the fans from Hamilton. Come on up. And so far as the Alexanders, you know, that was back in the early 80s when Brantford was experiencing some really tough economic times, 25% unemployment, and we just could not afford to support and sustain an OHL team. And so because of that, we kind of got a bad rap. And I think that's why this community has been waiting for an opportunity to show this province, this country, that this city has rejuvenated itself and it's ready to support an OHL team and can. Four years from now, this Brantford Bulldogs franchise will have an opportunity to go back to Hamilton. Are you going to be campaigning over the next three years to keep this team longer than three years in your city? Well, the agreement's for three years plus three years, uh, three possible three-year extensions. So, but it's one step at a time. The first step is making sure that arena is sold out for every game and that the, the the impact can clearly be demonstrated. And then I'm sure we can start talking about what is what 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 does the future look like? Because let's be honest, the Bulldogs will do what's best and good for the Bulldogs and, and I accept that. But you know, I'm my hope is that the reception here will be so overwhelmingly positive that that there could be other possibilities in the future. But, you know, we're going to have to wait and see. We shall. Mr. Mayor, thank you for your time today. Great, great talking to you, Rick. And have a great day and a great weekend. The same to you, Kevin Davis, Mayor of... I hope your future includes coming. I, I will absolutely be there. <laughs> those bulldog games. You can guarantee it. Thank you, sir. Uh, Kevin okay. Davis, the mayor of the city of Brantford. Uh, you can uh, sign up to get your name on a season ticket package. Deposits are being accepted right now online at BrantfordBulldogs.com. You better hurry, though. I mean, capacity is just shy of 3,000 at the Civic Center. Already more than 1,000 people have signed up to partake in Bulldogs hockey in Brantford. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. From 900 CHML. We'll sit down. Uh, this is the beginning. Uh, I always look at it, you know, glass is half full. Um, and again, it's good that we sat down and and I'll, I'll never uh, refuse new funding. Well, Premier Doug Ford and uh, all the other premiers and territorial leaders didn't really walk out the door on the Prime Minister earlier this week following their working meeting to discuss health care funding in this country. In fact, Ontario is going to be the first province to sit down directly with some federal government officials to hammer out the finer points of this new health care funding. But is, is it the right plan going forward? Are we doing enough, Dr. Stephen Ellis is a Conservative MP in Cumberland, Colchester in Nova Scotia and the Shadow Minister of Health with the CPC and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Ellis, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm great. Your thoughts on this nearly $200 billion 10-year health care funding proposal? You know, uh, thanks very much for having me this morning. I, I think one of the things that uh, that really uh, is is concerning to me is they talk about a two hundred billion dollar deal, but but let's be clear here. This is uh, this is forty six billion dollars over ten years of, of new money. So on average, four point six billion a year. Uh, and and of course, we all know what the reason for that is. Is after eight years of, of liberal government, what we've run into is the cupboards are bare. There's no money left. 
uh, and healthcare has has uh, unfortunately ended up uh, in the bottom of the spending pile. And and to me, the telling tale of you know watching the the premiers uh, walk down the stairs after receiving the the uh, the package, they they walked by the press and and out the door they went. Uh, certainly a far cry from uh, from what they were expecting. This offer would increase the federal share of health care costs from 22% to 24% next year. The premiers uh, have, uh, for months now, been saying, hey, we need 35%. If that 2% increase translates to, as you mentioned, $46 billion in new money, can we possibly get to 35%? Well, you know, uh, I had a uh, an interesting conversation with our leader, Pierre Poilievre, uh, yesterday, of course. And when we talked about it, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, for us as conservatives to understand exactly where this fits. Uh, we'll have to sit down. We'll have to look very, very closely uh, once we get elected and understand what the finances of the of the country look like. Uh, as you well know, I mean, the difficulty that that we see with the uh, spending of the Liberal government is, uh, you know, uh, spend, baby, spend. Maybe that's the uh, that's the answer. But why healthcare has been left uh, out in the cold? That's the difficulty that uh, that we run into, especially when, uh, as I'm sure you know. Uh, five million Canadians are left without uh, access to a primary uh, primary care physician. 1.2 million uh, people in Canada waiting for procedures, and the wait times from uh, seeing a family physician, if you're so fortunate, to getting specialist treatment is the longest it's been in 30 years, which is uh, over six months at the current time. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Stephen Ellis, Conservative MP, Cumberland's Colchester in Nova Scotia, also the Shadow Minister of Health for the CPC. We're talking about this health care funding proposal from the federal government to each of the provinces. And now, as we're hearing today in Ontario, we're going to have some of these one-on-one encounters and, you know, federal provincial deals with some, as we've heard, strings attached. Is that something that your government, if in power, would include in these negotiations? You know, one of the things that concerns us uh, with this deal is is the, uh, the Ottawa knows best approach. And uh, what we're seeing is this patchwork of care because the bilateral deals that they want to sign, perhaps uh, uh, akin to what they've signed uh, with respect to, to child care, which uh, you know, from our perspective, and speaking speaking very personally on child care, you know, I have a daughter who has uh, two young children who's unable to access child care. Uh, and, and when we look at those programs that they've created uh, from a very first perspective, that's not uh, that's not really the spirit of, of the Canada Health Act in terms of wanting to sit down with premiers and uh, and or provincial health ministers, understanding exactly what their needs are and and how to fund that. I mean the the uh, the I'll, I'll call it interference or the uh, if we look at it in a positive sense, uh, you know the funding uh, from a federal perspective is really about that funding, uh, the, the federal powerful funding that we can provide as a federal government. Uh, the most difficult thing, of course, is that uh, it would appear the Prime Minister doesn't really want to sit down with folks and have those difficult conversations to understand what's going to work for for uh, perhaps Ontario or my home province of Nova Scotia, which, which sometimes are different. You know, but in Canada, we do have a very collaborative attitude, and, and I certainly think from our government's perspective, having those difficult conversations uh, is the best way to move forward and and to enable those uh, the the innovation that could exist uh, by meeting with uh, 
folks who are working directly with healthcare in the provinces and understanding exactly, uh, you know, the direction that they want to go in their home province. And when they come up with good ideas, uh, everybody around the country should know that. And, and when I talk to people often about the fact that provinces uh, don't necessarily share their, their innovation with each other, not not because they're protective of it, but because they're so busy delivering care that they don't have that opportunity to actually say, hey, I've got a great idea here. This is maybe something you should do. Uh, so I think that those kind of difficult conversations need to be had, and then that's certainly a way forward for a conservative government in the future. Dr. Ellis, I uh, thank you for your thoughts this morning, and thanks for joining us this morning on Good Morning Hamilton. Enjoy your day. My pleasure. One last thought, if I might, if, uh, if we want the real solution for health care, elect a conservative government. Dr. Stephen Ellis, Conservative MP, Cumberland, Colchester, Nova Scotia, the Shadow Minister of Health. Uh, Premier Ford has said he's going to use this new federal money to hire more doctors and more nurses, uh, elevate our home care system, invest in long-term care, all all the right things to focus on. Uh, the question is, uh, how much can we spread this money around to, to elevate all those uh, really areas of need? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Mass- part of the Super Bowl is betting on the big game. And my, oh my, there are going to be millions, if not billions of dollars wagered either legally or illegally on Sunday's matchup between Kansas City and Philadelphia. And, and literally, there are thousands of things on and off the field that you can wager on. Jason Logan is a senior industry analyst with sports betting website covers.com and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jason, sports betting is big, but betting on the Super Bowl is on another level, right? Yeah, it's kind of way we always say like, oh, this is the Super Bowl of this or the Super Bowl of that. Well, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl of betting. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of these things that seems to grow every year. And it's not just who's going to win the game or cover the spread or go over the total. Um, the prop markets and additional ways that you can wager on the big game have just expanded far beyond what they used to be. Why are prop bets so enticing? Prop bets are they're enticing because they kind of keep you rooting for something within the game as well, too. So if you have a bet on the spread or who's going to win, those things generally will have to be paid out or played out at the end of the game. But prop bets are kind of a, a little additional something that you can cheer for. It could be a player to go over receiving yards. It could be a player to go under his catches. Could be a player to throw an interception so you kind of end up cheering for other things it does kind of give you additional action and another layer to enjoying the games but i will say in terms of like the the sports betters and the guys that do it seriously um prop markets used to be kind of a sucker's bet but now they are the kind of shark infested water of super bowl betting they they these professional guys they don't necessarily want to bet into the spread of the total because those are by the end of the year those are going to be the toughest lines and the toughest markets to beat but they do find softer lines and advantages in the prop market so when these prop markets come out and generally it was about the thursday of the bye week that we would see prop markets but now they were they were out basically the the tuesday after the super bowl matchup was made and those see action hot and heavy from professional players and so by the time the public bets into these props you know 48 hours or three days out from super bowl a lot of the value, a lot of the the, the best of the number is gone. So um, that's that's where the sharp guys generally uh, uh, gravitate now is the prop markets because there is a, a better opportunity for them to find edges and angles in soft odds and, and make their money that way. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jason Logan. He's a betting expert at Covers.com. We're talking about betting on the Super Bowl. You also have an ultimate prop betting guide uh, on Covers.com. Do you have a favorite prop for Sunday? Uh, I uh, well, I'll go with I'll go with player prop. And I did take I jumped on Jalen Hurts odds early on. Um, I do like him to go over. I had him as over nine and a half carries rushing attempts for the game. And I did take his over 48 and a half. He was kind of limited with a shoulder injury towards the end of the year. But this is a guy who very much stirs the drink for this Philadelphia offense. I think we're going to see in this zone read offense that Kansas City hasn't, hasn't faced a lot of. I think we're going to see a lot of called runs for him. Kansas City also has a very good pass rush. So I think we'll see some QB scrambles for him. And then, of course, those third and inches, fourth and inches, we're going to see Jalen Hurts get the carries on that, too. So I, I do expect them to have. I, I would even say over 10 and a half is still pretty good right now. And then I think he'll do some damage with his legs. 48 and a half yards is what I went over. Those are bets, prop bets that I, I jumped on early, knowing that that was going to be a very popular play. Another big reason why the Super Bowl is so popular amongst uh, non-football fans is all the things we can bet on that aren't really tied to the game itself. The National Anthem, the Halftime Show, uh, Gatorade Shower. What's the strangest prop bet that you've either made or you've seen? All right. Now, I will say some of these markets aren't available, depending on where you're at. Um uh, these may or may not be available in your betting market. So there, there are a lot of books that do have the novelty props up and they, they are a lot of fun. Um, I will precursor, keep them fun. Don't go too crazy on them because a lot of these things are very, very hard to predict. This year, my my big halftime show favorite one is T.I. to make an appearance uh, with Rihanna in the halftime show. His song, Live Your Life, featuring Rihanna. That's actually wow. Rihanna's number two biggest billboard hit. And uh, they promised a ton of guests. I expect him to come out. This is anywhere from like plus 300. I saw it as high as plus 900. I got plus wow. 700, which is pretty good. And the guy just has to come on stage and wrap a couple of bars and that's it, right? So <laughs> that, those are the half. To, but I mean, yes, there are a ton of crazy bets. One bet that I saw at one sports book was what will be more the weight of Jason Kelsey's baby, which is expected to happen any day now, yeah. or the number of receptions from his brother, Travis Kelsey, because we have the two brothers there. And Travis Kelsey's receptions total is around six and a half, seven and a half, so we'll say seven. And then Kelsey is expecting a girl. Um, but also, too, those, those are some big men, and big men have baby. I think my kids were, were bigger than seven pounds, so um, <laughs> maybe there's some value on the over or the, the baby being uh, more in pounds than uh, Travis Kelsey reception. It seems like this is a, a real 50-50 split in terms of w- which fans are going in which direction, whether it's the Eagles or the Chiefs. That's why the number is so, so close. Who do you like in the game? I took Kansas City plus two um, early. It was basically like a what, like third day, maybe the, the Monday or the Tuesday after the odds released that Sunday night after we had the matchup. I just don't agree with the spread moving towards the Eagles and having them as favorites. If you if you look at the power ratings all year, Kansas City was the number one team. Even when Philadelphia was at its peak, the Chiefs were above them. And then as we got into to the championship round on, on Championship Sunday, there were look-ahead lines available for the sports books. And those look-ahead lines had Kansas City as a favorite against the Eagles. And all Kansas City did, go, did do is went out and beat the Bengals, who were the best team in football at that time, which I, I don't think they're getting enough credit for. And then the Eagles have had a pretty easy path overall. They had the softest strength of schedule this year. They had the softest strength of QB strength of schedule all year. They're facing a guy who Mahomes, who is an elite passer, something they haven't faced a lot of and have struggled against sound passing games this year. Gave up a lot of points against teams like Detroit and Dallas when they face some quality quarterbacks. 
And uh, I just I just didn't agree with the Eagles being favorites. You really can't upgrade them or downgrade them for what happened in the playoffs so far, especially with San Francisco. So I think Kansas City should be the favorite here and kind of bet accordingly. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. I know that whether it's uh, the excitement on the field or off of it, pregame high, postgame celebration is going to be a lot of fun. Jason, thanks for spending some time with us and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. All right, absolutely, Rick. You too. Jason Logan from Covers.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Red transition three. Got it. From Victoria. Thanks to TSN for the sound. Raps were feeling good last night. Will they be feeling good after 3 p.m. today? Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. 3 p.m. is the NBA trade deadline, and the Raptors have already made one move. Is there more to come? Toronto reacquiring center Jakob Pertl from San Antonio for center Kim Birch. A first-round pick in 2024. A couple of future second-round picks are the dinos done? Aiden Moss is a writer with Raptors Republic and joins us now on GMH. Aiden, good morning. How are you? Good Rick. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. So, Jakob Pertl back from the Spurs. Why make this move? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of Toronto Raptor fans are kind of surprised this morning. Uh, the Raptors concluded they needed a big... They needed defensive rebounding. They need someone to fill the middle on the defensive end. And Pertl does all of those things. And he doesn't come with a big price tag either. No, he's a he's a free agent in the offseason. I think uh, he will come at a reasonable price. I think he's happy to be in Toronto. Obviously, him and Pascal and Siakam are quite close. On the defensive end, it also means that guys like Pascal and OG, if he's still there, and Scotty can kind of rest easy. The responsibility down low won't fall solely on them. And... I do think, though, however, if we're going to sign him, which it seems like we will, this kind of spells trouble for or it spells the end for Gary or Freddie or OG today. You mentioned OG Ananobi. There's been a lot of talk about him. He, he's injured right now, but apparently on the lips of a few GMs throughout the NBA is do you get the sense that he'll be in a different uniform the next time he does take to the court? And, and if so, what team do you suspect that landing spot's going to be, and what return could Toronto get? It's really hard to read Masai, obviously. Um, I know he's a big OG fan, as am I. I don't want to trade him. I think his potential is still great. However, I do think he brings back the greatest return. With Kevin Durant going to Phoenix, certain suitors like Brooklyn and Phoenix have gone away. But it also means that OG's value has increased. Teams like New Orleans or Memphis uh, or maybe another uh, team we don't expect are willing to pay a lot. I think the best deal out there right now is from the Pelicans, one of Herb Jones or Trey Murphy or Dyson Daniels plus a pick plus salary is is a handsome return. And it makes trading that first round pick for Pirtle, uh easier to swallow. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Aiden Moss, writer for Raptors Republic. We're talking about NBA trade deadline day today and what possibly the Raptors could do. I've also seen Pascal Siakam's name in trade speculation. They're not going to do this, are they? I doubted it before, and now acquiring Pirtle makes me all the more certain that Pascal is going to be a Raptor for a long time. This is this is a, a closer to a win-now move than anything else. And Pascal and Pirtle's former relationship, I just think this is 
this is Masai telling everybody that the Raptors are here to compete now and into the near future. What are the Raptors shopping for if they're not done? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, they are always looking to extend outwards into the future contract-wise. So you have Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. who are going to essentially be free agents this summer. OG and Pascal the next summer, then Precious and Scotty. So there's a lot of people to pay. So they're going to be looking to acquire guys that are on good contracts moving forward. The Raptors desperately need depth. They need depth at the guard position, or at least guys that Nick Nurse is willing to play uh, for extended periods of time. And they're looking for youth. So that's quite that's quite a, a, a small needle to thread, but I think that's what Masai is seeking. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets have been quite busy. Three days after they traded Kyrie Irving to Dallas, they've dealt uh, Kevin Durant to Phoenix. Certainly there's an arms race out west. Are you expecting one or maybe two other blockbuster moves today? Yeah, I think I think Denver feels like they are on the precipice of winning now. Uh, Memphis, Memphis could go either way, but they have high aspirations. And New Orleans is also in a win-now kind of space with guys like C.J. McCollum at their peak of powers. And so I think they all believe, and the Clippers, I think they all believe that they have a legitimate chance, Kevin Durant or not. And so I would expect a lot of medium to high-end moves still to come today. Even the Warriors might make moves um, with not having Curry for an extended period of time. Grab some popcorn. It's going to be fun to watch. And you can follow (laughs) Aiden and uh, all the other crew at Raptors Republic online with the trade speculation and the trades that come down. Instant analysis, raptorsrepublic.com is the website. Aiden, thanks for the time. Enjoy the day. Thanks for having me, Rick. Aiden Moss, writer for Raptors Republic. Should be exciting time for Raptors fans and NBA fans whenever there's a trade deadline in any sport. A lot of hype, a lot of uh, consternation and anxiousness from certain fan bases, and a lot of excitement as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I want to bring you uh, a little closer to what is a very common story in our lives. That's when a loved one gets incredibly sick and not only gets incredibly sick, but ultimately passes away from this illness or this disease. Our next guest has gone through that, has gone through that journey. And at the end of it or, or during it, he has written a book about it. And I love the title, Dude, Where's My Walking Stick? And the author of that book is joining us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Kevin Moore is his name. Kevin, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. So you have obviously a uh, a very familiar story to tell in terms of your your mom passing away from cancer. I think many people can relate um, to a loved one uh, being stricken with this illness and and dying. Uh, tell us about your story and why it led you to where you are today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was 2019, and my mom um, suddenly became sick with. Um, internal cancer, uh, stage four cancer. And she only survived just a couple more months after that. Um, at the time I was actually in New Zealand, um, like backpacking and living. And, um, just before, maybe six months before this, she came and visited me. Uh, she really fell in love with New Zealand. She thought it was one of the best countries she's ever been to. Um, so when she did actually, um, pass away, I decided I don't know what to do. So maybe I should just try and go out into the bush and see if I can clear my head. 
So I flew back to New Zealand and I started a hike. Uh, it's called the Te Araroa. It is a, a national walking hike, not walking trail in New Zealand. And I ended up walking 1,304 kilometers over 69 days. Wow. And on this journey, I mean, how did it go? You're not just walking and kind of staring at the sunshine. Like you're, you're probably in deep thought, I would imagine. Absolutely. Uh, that was the main point is uh, I thought maybe I could clear my head by, you know, putting myself out there. Um, nature always is a, is a good uh, remedy. It's a good uh, medicine to, to go to. Um, a big part of it was like how difficult it actually was. It was every single day I was walking. I had to carry all of the food, all of my supplies, all my sleeping gear, tent, sleeping bag, everything in order to live. And um, there was, it was very difficult. It was uh, very painful. Everything hurt. Um, but that physical pain was really nothing compared to the, the mental, the mental pain I was going through. Um, it did really help. It gave me a lot of time as over 69 days walking for up to 12 to 15 hours a day, just to, uh, get to the next hut, get to the next place for a campsite. Um, so I did have lots of time to clear my head. So how did the thought of, geez, you know what, I'm going to write a book about this. When did that come along? Well, I've always kind of like wrote whenever I travel just for a journal. It was basically just a, um, you know, a daily thoughts and daily journal. And uh, when I got back home, I had written journal the whole time through that hike. And then I thought maybe this will just help me process my grief a little bit more by, by putting back into the computer and then going over it. And then a few people convinced me, why don't you try and um, publish that? And so I self-published the book. I, I uh, went through all, all the channels that I had to do. And now the book, well, this was two years ago, the book was released. And uh, it did very, very well. I actually uh, achieved number one bestseller in Australia, uh, New Zealand, America, and Canada in a few different categories. And so I just tried to fan the flames and... and uh, keep it going. And it's coming up on a two year anniversary now. And I'm still, the book is still in the top 10 in some of the categories. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Kevin Moore, author of Dude, Where's My Walking Stick? He lost his mom to cancer, walked more than a thousand kilometers in New Zealand, decided, hey, I'm going to write a book about it. And here he is today. What was harder, walking all those steps or sitting down, compressing all your thoughts and feelings and writing this book? Well, I don't know. Physical pain is one thing. Every, everybody knows physical pain, but uh, the mental thoughts, the mental thing was probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. Reliving, you know, processing and reliving the death of my mother. She was an amazing woman. She was uh, a stand-up person. She did everything for anyone and uh, she didn't deserve the way she went, but um, she's in a better place now. So I guess. What do you want readers to take away from your book? Um... I guess I'd like to take away that, you know, anything is really possible if you put your mind to it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a writer. I didn't do so well in English class, but uh, I put my mind to it and really you can accomplish anything. Where can people uh, get the book? Uh, it's available on on everything. Um, it's obviously available on Amazon, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can get it on Google Books, Apple Books, um, as simple as just a Google and you'll find it. And when you came up with the title, Dude, Where's My Walking Stick? I'm not sure if you were a fan of the movie, Dude, Where's My Car? But was there a relationship with the walking stick that you needed on your trek? 
Well, yes, actually. Uh, on the very first day, I found a stick, a very large stick, a very um, ridiculous stick. Uh, most people carry the walking sticks, which are very light and very uh, convenient. I had a kind of a ridiculously oversized stick made of wood. And I took it with me everywhere I went uh, throughout the whole trek. And many people start to learn about this stick because it is a bit of a community when you do through hiking. And uh, the stick ended up getting a name, Richard. And by the end, we even had a little... Um, a little ceremony and threw him back into the sea at the end of the trek. Wow. It's almost like Wilson, the volleyball from the movie Castaway. <laughs> a little bit. Were you talking to the stick on your journey? Uh, I do believe I was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever gets you through that next step and through this experience, Kevin, thanks for sharing your experience with us and compiling this book, which has obviously been ultra successful. Uh, thanks for your time today and good luck in your next project. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. That is great. Kevin Moore, author of Dude, Where's My Walking Stick? You can get it, uh, well, wherever you get your favorite books. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.